I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the house manager's presentation was well done. We are generally a social people. We enjoy being around one another. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Politics. I am Jeb Lunda, and I don't know where I am. Oh, I'm Tim Bat, and yes, Queen, I feel that. Go off, Jeb. I have disappeared 1,000 miles into the American heartland, and it's been... I was starting to feel bad about not engaging with, with what's going on in the news as much, because I started to feel like perhaps I am becoming the person who, if Hillary had been elected, would have been at brunch right now. Yeah. And uh, and I was relieved to to hear, you know, because when we were talking about what we were what we were going to do, I was relieved to hear you say, man, I feel like I've been a little disengaged. So I have my excuse, which we can explore. <laughs> yeah. But what's your excuse? Well, I've got a twofer, I think. Nice. Number one, I think I'm I'm part of the world, which is that I'm going through everything everyone else is, which is that Biden got elected. So I've just managed to keep my eyes off of the news because I know that the world will, in all likelihood, keep turning for seven more days, which was never a given over the past four years. And then the other reason is just uh, after seven sweet years of doing podcasting for all my friends for no money, someone finally hired me to do some work. So it's been keeping me pretty busy. And it's that sweet, sweet Jeff Bezos money uh, because it's a little audible project. Uh, So... So that's kind of cool. Terrific. All right. So we have to keep this going until we can plug its release, is what you're saying. Hey, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't think it'll take that long. So um, I think we've got it in us. Sure. Nice. So I like I've been thinking about that, like whether we're reasonable to disengage a little. And I my theory is that, yeah. And I I mean, partly it's this self-exculpation, which uh, I think most people are probably pretty good at. But, you know, I think... To a certain extent, that the hypervigilance of the the Trump news cycle is kind of a, just a traumatic aberration for most people. The compulsion with which people I know started refreshing Twitter and reading Twitter the way I would read Twitter for work, which was my job. It was actually my life, but other people were doing it to the exclusion of a life even before the pandemic. Yeah. And I I think it for a lot of people, it was just like a psychological, like just sort of an unconscious need to assert some sort of control. Like if everything was going to be this hellaciously surprising, I have to do everything I can on my end to minimize the rate at which I can be surprised. Like nothing could be broken for me. That's what it was, wasn't it? When the rules just started melting away and everything became absurd, you had to kind of the human bro- I've got this theory, just based on my drug use, basically, that the human mind essentially <laughs> is just built for patterns. It's just a pattern recognition machine. 
And so maybe that was the thing through the Trump era that messed us up so bad is that all the, all the patterns that we were used to just started disappearing. And there were kind of new patterns that emerged. And I guess I was on Twitter so much, like refreshing everything to try and figure out what the new pattern was that we were living in. It was a scary pattern. It was also hard for people our age because it was a senior citizen's pattern. So he really only slept about four hours a night. So, you know, in theory, it could be going at two in the morning and then again at six. Yeah. And so like, you can't keep up. And like, unless you're a lesser being like a Krasenstein type who's got the uh, the alerts for every time the president tweets so you can get in there and reply guy it. You know, there wasn't really any way to cope with that because you'd wake up and something awful would have already happened. I like Again. that we're both talking about this like it had any healthy implication for the person or any kind of utility for the world whatsoever. It was a horrible way to live. No one should have been yeah. doing it like that. It wasn't helpful. And in actual fact, it probably just fed the machine and fed the monster. Yeah, all the wrong people thrived. And like, I mean, it really does kind of feel like a war where if you came out of it making money, you must be just like a just the worst person. Yeah. For everyone else, like... I can see, like, even for, for pro journalists who, you know, are, are writing these things like that, uh, that Nazarian guy in, in um, The Atlantic who basically wrote a piece. It was like, I kind of miss Trump. It's like, well, yeah, you're a war prophet here. That's exactly um, the analogy, man. It is a psychological war criminal, like a, a, a neuro arms dealer is what. <laughs> those are the people who started coming to the top and making their money and making their name. Just like like a super ego in epaulets with like reflecting aviator glasses. <laughs> I wonder we all got so cooked. And then a fucking global virus. My god damn. Right, which then sends you home. So now you've got nothing to do. But like you were already checking Twitter for 14 hours a day. So what's 16? You know? <laughs> oh man, we've got to pull up. This is um this is spinning me out because realistically, we've now got a a, a brand shiny new administration. Is it too early for me to start quizzing you about the the recent Senate impeachment, or do you want to um, talk about something else before we get into that? Oh, we got to we got to punt that for a little bit more. No, the other thing I was going to say was like those journalists though who were like you know we think made like a, a pretty good curating out of it. Like even they would complain about the fact that like there wasn't the normal period of of here's when you bury things throughout the day. Here's where we get the snow job presser thing. Yeah. Here's when they let them and. So like even people who were who were primed to sort of exploit it, like the the irregularity of it just, I think, main, keeps you in this this state of like hypervigilance. So I don't think anybody realistically thinks that like, you know, a lot of venality is going to I mean, like a lot of venality is going to disappear, but like there's still going to be that kind of black mold in the government and there's still going to be a lot to write about. But like, you you know, you can log off at like 630 on Friday. And, and you can go get drunk and then you can come back tomorrow and the world will not have appreciably worsened. Just as God intended. That is literally why he structured the work week like that. <laughs> so we could all knock off and go to happy hour. Right. So before we, we got to get to the, the quizzing about about what's going on in the impeachment thing. But I, I did drive into the heartland and not being on NPR or anything. You know, I, I was thinking about actually I was listening to a lot of podcasts on the drive because unlike the radio, I can make them go 1.5 times as fast and like as i'm doing it i was hearing some conversation about basically like the way we process news i can't remember where it was but essentially like the internet has been very very bad not just for like misinformation but just for the sheer like plenitude of it 
like even assuming it's all accurate, like we're just not supposed to digest that much of it. Absolutely. And it began with like the 24 hour news. And, and somehow we got away from the idea that it's something you turn on when there is when you have decided something has happened that I need to be informed by sooner than 6 p.m. When I watch the nightly news or when I sit and read the evening edition of the paper or before 8 a.m. when I read the morning edition, like we all kind of bought in. And I think the accelerating centripetal forces of the Bush administration through the Tea Party insanity through Trump has kind of made it seem like we were all doing the right thing by not just going like, I'm only going to learn about the world for an hour today. What, that was the right thing? Or staying attuned constantly to what's happening on CNN at all hours was like your civic duty? No, like the the staying attuned and becoming like a savvy, like meta commentarian, right? Because like you could, I think maybe too, like it it would seem like it didn't affect you as much if you could seem bored by it already or know that this is process or get the zinger out before another person because like, hey, you got, at least you got a little serotonin burst from the tragedy that kind of helped it go down. Yeah. And, and, you know, like a frog boiling, you know, being boiled on the stove. I think we all kind of got there. And I think... You know, maybe we, maybe all of us could get one of those like uh, planner apps that locks you out of your phone or something for, you know, huge chunks of the day, but, or just does the the opposite and says like, okay, you have 90 minutes to read the newspaper and the New Yorker, and then you just got to stop. Yeah, because you're supposed to live your life. Like, I feel the same way about absorbing all news as I do with politics at the moment, which is that. The whole point of representative government is that I have ceded a large portion of my worrying about this shit to an elected official who broadly agrees with my worldview. And the whole point of that is so that I can go and live a lot of my life without having to constantly be monitoring and think about this stuff. And people, I've had conversations with friends of mine who are highly political who accused me of being lazy, and maybe it is, but I think it's the way that we should be living. Like, you should be able to spend 95% of your time not worrying about the news and politics. And I wish I had the numbers in front of me, actually, but I was recently reading that across the board, American cable news ratings have tanked. Like, MSNBC, I think, has gone down the most, but Fox has also suffered. CNN has also suffered. And I see that as a huge win for humanity at large. Like, I think that is an absolute victory. There's like two shows anybody needs to see on MSNBC and nothing on Fox. And if like CNN, if nothing's burning around the globe, you kind of don't need CNN either because that's what they do well is they actually still have offices. They don't just have uh, offices and and stringers and, you know, global bureaus rather than like the MSNBC model, which is have Rockefeller Center and then people who can sit in chairs there. Or now in your lounge, as long as you've got a cool bookshelf background that might or might not be downloaded. Yeah. On, well, on the news thing, and this is at risk of torpedoing a large, um, I kind of thought reason for this podcast to exist initially, but I, I read <laughs> uh, a book called <laughs> Humankind recently, which talks a bit about the news by Rudger Bregman, that Dutch economist who went to Davos and blew up everyone's spot by just saying like, this is my first time at Davos and, uh, and I find it quite a bewildering experience, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, 1,500 private yets have flown in here to hear Sir David Attenborough speak about, you know, how we're wrecking the planet. And uh, I mean, I hear people talk in the language of participation and justice and equality and transparency. 
But then, I mean, almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right? And of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters, firefighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. I mean, this is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk for a very long time about all these stupid <laughs> philanthropy schemes. We can invite Bono once more, but come on, it's, we gotta be talking about taxes. Yeah, That's it, taxes, taxes, taxes. All the rest is bullshit, in, in my opinion. But he, he wrote a great book about uh, universal basic income called Utopia for Realists. And this new one, which came out last year called Humankind, is all about how human beings as a species are fundamentally actually good, but we keep telling ourselves the story that we are horrible, wretched, selfish individual units uh, that act solely in our self-interest, and we have to keep the veneer of society on top of ourselves to keep ourselves in check. But actually, if you look at the science, none of it supports that thesis. And he talks a bit about the news, and there was a bit that really resonated with me, which was that the reason why something is on the news is because it is such an exceptional event. Like a murder or something will be on the news because it's not supposed to happen and it happens on the whole of things so rarely that that's why they're reporting on it. But the way that we absorb the news these days, which is a like combination of a evolutionary response to risk to our, and endangerment to our lives, we've got to keep scanning the forest floor for the snake that might bite us constantly. So we have mm. this outsized attention for a tiny amount of risk. And just our consumption habits through them being able to basically psychologically game us into getting addicted to the news cycle. And it's like the confluence of, of those factors have just driven us mad. They were all paying attention to the news, which is reporting on exceptional things. But then in our minds, we're absorbing it so constantly that we normalize it and think it's kind of everyday normal life that people are just out there getting murdered and politicians represent real people and even fringe politicians who get the most news coverage represent the entire political body and we've just got this completely distorted model in our head of what society is actually like yeah i mean like there's so many structural obstacles to news like you know the dumbest joke you can make about it is like, did you know that the news has a recency bias like of course it does right <laughs> but but it does and like the most recent thing is almost definitionally going to be an aberrant thing. So its malfunction winds up dominant. But then, you know, you have these multiplier effects in the US where almost all local TV news where most people get their news isn't like held to really much standard. Like basically it's just how many stations you can own and how concentrated they can be in geographic areas. Once you have them, you can be any kind of lunatic you want. Even the ones that are considered nominally respectable still overwhelmingly feature stuff like black crime, despite the fact that if you wanted to address what steals more out of the U.S. per year than anything else, you'd be talking about white collar crime or mm. wage theft or stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's biased against all these things that seem like individual acts, basically somebody giving in to human nature and not being part of society. Yeah. And then... On the other hand, then you have like basically the, the rules of the game being written by people who are utterly wedded to this sort of capitalist predator model, right? Where that's good. So you've got like, well, here's a shame. The Lord of the Flies happened again. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're like, ah, the Lord of the Flies is working. <laughs> hey, also, I just want to check this. Did I talk about that book on the first episode when we came back? 
because I think you and I maybe talked about it. I don't. I don't it know. might be on the podcast because there's um, two fun things about me. Number one, I've got a very bad memory. Number two, I read like one book a year and then talk about it for twelve months. So <laughs> apologies if this is not the first time you hear me rabbiting on about that book, but it was good. Did you see the story in the Guardian? I think it was Guardian uh, Australia about the the real life Lord of the Flies. Yes, kids? It, well, that's Rugger Bregman tracked them down. It was in research oh, right. for okay, this so book. That book. Yeah, that was the genesis of this book. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So that's the um, like opening story of uh, of humankind. This new book, which I have to say wasn't as compelling as his last book, but um, just has some really interesting ideas in it. No, I think we had stopped doing this when I had this experience, uh, it, or it might have been shortly after, because I remember that kind of messed me up for a while, was uh, when Hurricane Irma mm. cut across the very south end of Florida and then turned right for where I live, which hasn't had a major hurricane strike it for like 50 years. Uh, I was really, really frightened by that, but I live in a neighborhood where... You know, I walked outside and like all these neighbors who I know had been combative with me over the 2016 election because they find out what you do and then they want you to confirm their priors. Mm. And as soon as you tell them like, well, the thing you believe in is not factually true, they get mad at you. And it's like, well, don't ask the question if you don't want to hear more than one <laughs> answer. Come on. But like all these people that normally I was butting heads with in a civil way, I mean, people just going door to door, knocking on doors like, do you need somebody to put up your storm shutters like just open your garage and we'll go do it for you yeah you know because we had neighbors who you know had a bum leg or whatever or people who were terrified of heights and had these two-story houses and they got to put these storm uh shutters up somehow but like everybody just sort of went okay there's a crisis how do we solve it for everybody and people were checking up like okay i know to check on you because you don't have a generator you don't have a generator you know just this automatic communal response that it was betrayed by almost every other ethic of success and vitality that were taught and also like every cliche of of you know man's brutal nature exactly and like what you're describing is 100 percent what this book is all about he goes through different examples as well like hurricane katrina is a good one where he starts going through the numbers and these supposed crimes that were reported at the time and literally picks apart the very details and specifics of the individual crimes that were supposed to have happened, which were very small in number anyway. But then when you actually look at the facts of those cases um, that were reported on, they're bullshit anyway. So like the incredibly overwhelming bulk of society responds in the same way to a crisis, which is helping other people who were in the group. And it's like not without its follies, because obviously we still do bad things, but there's kind of there's a, yeah, there's just a very, we're, we are taught a very different, flawed, and far more evil version of human nature than what the science tends to suggest when you actually look at it dispassionately. I think the most telling detail from those Katrina crimes is that when you look at the really, you know, we hear all these, oh, the brutal coated black animals mm. in the Lower Ninth Ward, they're doing this, and you look at the actual violent crimes that happen, and it's White guys from suburbia who have internalized this, well, the cities are the homes of animals. That's where you see the most brutal human nature. This is the civilization that must be guarded from it. Those are the guys who are getting armed and going hunting for people. Yes. Because they've projected, they're the ones with the animal destructive, eliminating, eliminationist instinct. And they're like, well, here's my opportunity because I've decided that everybody I hate must already be doing this lock and load. Exactly. Exactly. And that instinct of thinking 
it's just assuming the other person in the group is already doing the horrible thing in humankind Bregman puts forward that that is oftentimes the reason why bad shit gets out of hand it is simply fear and ignorance of what the other parts of your group are actually doing and this horrible assumptions that you make about other people in your group and then that fosters fear and well we've seen the results of that pretty dramatically which are being played out uh, again on CNN and Fabulous yeah. high definition from people's cell phone cameras as they were ushering Mike <laughs> Pence down a flight of stairs before he got hung up by a tree. Gosh, you know, like yeah. this is where this stuff goes. And again, man, I, I honestly have not been paying attention to, to these Senate trials and Senate hearings whatsoever. So I, you are going to have to fill me in on what's going on. Okay, yeah, let's do it. What's happening? Come on. What is going on? Uh, you know, it's if you watch the footage and I haven't seen a lot. And again, I, I've kind of been trying to do the thing of like, all right, I'll read the paper in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'll check, you know, the lefty outlets that I, I like like once a day. I'm not going to just keep hitting the fucking serotonin pellet bar by quote tweeting something and going this or whatever. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I haven't seen the visuals and that's automatically like helped me read through these a lot faster because like somebody's trying to tell me how it looked and like whether it was a good look and like i don't i would read that if i watched it because then i could go well this is bloviating or scene setting from somebody with an agenda but since i didn't see it i don't care like i would mm-hmm. skip but what i have seen yeah it's i mean it's good footage that they're putting up there of here's how close you were to dying and i think th- the democrats the house managers strategy has been to really underline like if you go ahead and acquit this guy you know this here's the timeline here are the tweets here are the statements it's so obvious you know you have to be the asshole to do it but before you do that i just want to show you how unimpervious you actually are because i mean as hoary and, and as simple as that argument is like put a little danger into some of these guys lives and they might start being more populist Mm. uh, in general like i think put a little danger into these guys lives and suddenly white supremacist gangs maybe aren't as fun a toy to play with anymore because it's a toy they've been able to play with more or less without consequence for about 60 years pretty much endlessly to their profit in a way that goes far beyond just sort of winning elections and the way that we frame local news and the way that we frame you know, the virtues of, of Lord of the Flies capitalism and the badness of Lord of the Flies uh, excessive pigment. They played with this toy and it worked. And and it's nice to to see the Democrats at least doing that, you know, he who rides on the back of the tiger ends up inside kind of thing with this pitch. But, I mean, is it going to change anybody's, anybody's mind? Like, we'd be, we'd be a fool to say so. It might. I don't know. Like, some of them seem more pissed now. What is the vibe out there in terms of... So, also, just to strip this back a little bit, um, what was the timeline here? First, they had to basically, like, make sure that the trial, the trial, which is the impeachment proceedings themselves, could actually go ahead. And I understand there was a legal hurdle they had to meet to kind of convince the Republicans that you could impeach someone who was not sitting, and that was determined to be possible, I guess, because now we're actually in the impeachment. So it winds up being like an almost uh, a strict party line vote with just a handful of, I think, four GOP defectors. And one of them actually changed his mind on the vote based on the presentations. That was uh, Cassidy, one of the senators from um, from Louisiana. And his argument was just that, like, Trump's defense lawyers didn't really 
provide a defense for their yeah. contention right that you can't do this and like the i mean it's it's a historical hogwash right no there's no way you could argue that the framers of the constitution were like listen we have a mechanism here for disciplining somebody and making sure they can never hold public office again if they do something really bad but we're just going to build in like this two week window in january where like <laughs> if they do it then then oopsie i mean yeah. fair play to them they waited like no that that didn't happen so like all the trump defense team is doing is throwing up like chaff and outrage and like horseshit legal theories so that something looks like a fig leaf to whichever republican uh senator wants to go ahead and vote to acquit him so they don't have to cohere they just have to be something that like an individual senator can say this like this is purposeful for me and you know this is useful for me and this is the rationale i'm going with i did it because i view this whole trial as fundamentally unconstitutional or i view this as as purely vindictive this should have been done through proper channels or whatever gets them through the next like three interviews back home and then that's it it has been pretty entertaining watching the diminishing level of attorneys that Trump can actually retain. <laughs> right. Because at this point, like, there's just a clown car sort of pulls up onto Capitol Hill and two dudes come out with a shoebox and rock up, right? Like, he's honestly run out of lawyers at this point, it seems. Well, yeah, but he doesn't pay them. <laughs> and so it's like, your client's, your client's going to lose. Even if he wins, he's going to lose. And you just look like the asshole who's like, well, you know, American fascism sounds good. Like, I, I don't think anybody needs it on, uh, you know, tied to their letterhead. You've you've seen partners at more august firms get invited to leave I for actually, their participation. I find it incredible that in a profession which is riddled with type A personalities who are constantly trying to create a professional reputation for themselves, that you would have, I guess it just speaks volumes about the reality of how guilty Trump is and how weak the case in his defense is, that to have the opportunity to represent a former president of the United States in an impeachment trial, which if I was a lawyer and I was ambitious, sounds like it would probably be a really awesome thing to attempt, even if you were pretty sure it was a very difficult case. Like that's an incredible thing to try and do. That even with that big, juicy carrot, he cannot find anything approaching a suitable racehorse for it. He's done so much work, though, making it seem like a bad gig. I mean, like, look at the, you know, the travel ban that didn't get through because the Democrats could just go, well, look at the tweet. Like, mm. he told you what he meant by doing it. I mean, he's just a, he's such a bad client. Like, even <laughs> assuming that he paid. Worst. And he doesn't, right? So, like, you're not going to make any money. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to offend people who, the, people aren't going to want you on their letterhead because that's the only thing you're going to be known for. So you can't cash out later via reputation. And even assuming that you could, he's going to keep you from doing that because you're probably going to come up with, like, a fairly decent defense. And then he's going to tell you, no, I need you to do this extremely stupid thing. That's the key. That's what it is. If he was someone who could be remotely trusted to be trusted as a client to take the advice of counsel then maybe yeah. he would have got someone remotely sane but yeah you're right it's the track record of listening to absolutely no one which has got him in this situation and i'm sure like we're going to find out there are more people who probably don't want to admit that they were offered the job and turned it down like the number of people who 
we already considered like D list who did not take it is going to get more and more humiliating because we're also going to learn like more and more dumb things he did with his you know his actual attorneys like the people who did stick around. It's fun. We've got to find the fun where it is at the moment, and where it is <laughs> is seeing the people who are representing Donald Trump. <laughs> so what's gonna what's gonna happen next? Like, what's the feeling? Is it kind of a foregone conclusion that this will amount to nothing, Jeb? Because there might be some obvious answer that I just don't know because I've been tuned out. Yeah, I mean, every time you come up with a, a reason why things could get better, you know, you also have to, I think, kind of come up with a reason why you should do this shit to yourself again. <laughs> I mean, I don't like I want to sit there and go, OK, they can find six more Republicans who are like, yeah, fuck that. But how many are going to do that? I don't know. I mean, like, it's not a very imaginative party. Like a lot of the things that we also want to put down to cravenness or, or Machiavellianism is, you know, we can't apply it to all of the GOP. There are people like Mitch McConnell who they get it. You know, the job is to funnel money back to rich people. And to set yourself up for life by doing that, whether in office or leave it and go into some sort of private work where you get paid three million bucks to show up at various boards. They're those canny guys. And then there are people like Louis Gohmert who are, I mean, he's just dumb as fuck. Like these people really do think that like what was on, like what Tucker Carlson is saying is true. I don't want to want to say it as like, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a liberal, so I'm smarter than you like read much. I mean, you know, their authority for the longest time has been a parallel set of media. And if you grow up, if you wind up siloed by that, and it doesn't profit you at all to acknowledge a reality outside of that. One, because it, you know, it helps your opponents by like demonstrating the the actual validity of their argued reality. But like it's going to turn off your base. It's going to turn off your donors. So like there are a lot of people who've never been incentivized to go like, well, actually, you can impeach a president for that because fascism is bad. Like, so I don't, you know, which part do you bet on? I mean, then you've got the canny people like Holly and Cruz who, you know, everybody wants to say they know better. Maybe they don't, but like they might effectively be as smart and canny as McConnell, but they're, they're just going to do things that are even more unspeakably evil. So where do you get the votes? I don't, you know, I think that the thing to just hope, and it, I, I feel kind of encouraged by this is that the Democrats are going to wave this bloody shirt a lot and they should. I mean, like you should. Ted Cruz should not be able to appear in public without people going like, yo, what's up, traitor at him anytime there's a camera out. And I feel like, yeah. you know, that 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 shit stands a good chance of happening. So I'm heartened by that. I mean, and the activism that you saw, you know, in the last year and just sort of building up under Trump. I mean, people think, well, that's dormant. But like right now, they're, they're keeping people warm and they're keeping people fed. But when spring comes out, I think it's, you know, we'll see that it's the ball game hasn't gotten back, gone back to the minor leagues. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the momentum that like Black Lives Matter, that Black Lives Matter has had in the last four years and just watching that even from New Zealand and we have uh, like I've attended marches for Black Lives Matter here in Auckland where I live, where it gets uh, transposed into a conversation about colonization and nativism Mm -hmm. and how we treat um, Pacific Islanders who live here and particularly around police treatment of brown people in New Zealand. Like, it has just been such a resonant, successful, popular branch of activism that I haven't seen in my lifetime. Even for stuff that you would expect, like environmentalism. (laughs) Like, in the age of increasing information and urgency about climate change, there's still... Environmental activists haven't been able to create as powerful a story 
as BLM has. And I've been thinking about the story thing recently. I don't know why I was thinking about this. I got stoned the other day and I was just thinking about <laughs> how successful QAnon has been. And I couldn't help but think that it could only crop up in a vacuum of what I would call more legitimate political movements, not being able to tell a good story, just having an absolute lack of ability to tell a good story about who people are and why they're in the position they're in and where we need to go from here, that this crazy conspiracy theory involving like drinking the blood of babies is what you believe your political enemies are up to. And that Trump, Donald Trump, for some reason, <laughs> is leading a charge against an international cabal of pedophiles. Like for that kind of story to take off. And it, you keep saying this all the time. And I, and I just want to like signal boost it. People should not underestimate how popular QAnon still is. And it takes a, a, a big bloody nose with Trump's defeat. But it's, it's like any cult. When doomsday comes, when the clock ticks around to midnight and suddenly the world is still there, a lot of those disciples, they stick around. That, that doesn't mean the end of the cult. Anyway, my original point was that BLM fucking rules. <laughs> yeah. And I look forward to everyone getting vaccinated so we can get back outside and kind of get back to work with that stuff. I will say, like, if you are a right winger who didn't really understand much about modern sociology or like any any of the stuff that is like a boogeyman for them i think you could kind of see like a, a a frightening radicalization on the other side of like people being spun up by the internet because like there are things that are now norms in the new york times and the washington post in their commentary sections that were stuff we were getting like yeah you did you you did that in the guardian you know, in, at the end of 2014 and early 2015, when we had like a, a at the time, like really sort of arresting number of, of trans and like uh, contributors and people of color there. And just a couple of years before that, a lot of what, you know, you're seeing in the Times or, or uh, the, the Post would have been something you probably would have only seen on Tumblr mm. or maybe in, in these times or the prospect. It was like it was people taking real like critical theory and applying it to shit they saw on the internet and saying like, here, here, you know, like this is the way you look at this. And when people said, wait, I don't get it. How, how do you, how do I look at it? They go, well, here's some books, read them. And just this process of radicalization, but like it's a radicalization based on like document, documented knowledge, like sociological study, you know, actual processing data, not like, well, these people are bad. Let's figure out how they're bad. Adrenochrome, you know, like, yeah, like, but the, I can see on the other side, like, you know, you would be spooked if you were a QAnon person, like, well, they say I did this, I made these logical conclusions, but like now you've got, you know, people talking about trans identity, you know, when normally it would just be like Nick Kristoff going like, I've saved another sex traffic child. <laughs> I don't think we should underestimate that as well. It's kind of made me think of us being locked down. Well. I say us. New Zealand's yeah. going all right. I don't want to rub it in. We're doing okay. Yeah, you, you, you didn't have to drive a thousand miles just to see a different set of walls. Sorry, man. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, people, people at large at the moment uh, around the world are locked in. And I think people have been radicalized in all sorts of ways. Like, I feel like I got a bit radicalized being locked in last year and just reading a bunch of books about particular subject matter. I, I think it did, a, a, it did wonders for my political health, I think. Yeah. 
So I don't like I don't know what else we can talk about about the trial because now it's going to go to the defense and it's just going to be a mishmash of things that aren't real. And mm-hmm. we're probably going to get a vote by this weekend. That's what's projected now. So, I mean, it may be that this is coming out on the day of the, the vote. So apologies to that. But let's go ahead and end on a downer. Oh, why not? <laughs> so, like, you know, I've been I've been trying to get a, a you know, I've been locked in these four walls with my, my kid. We're all on lockdown because my, my wife is like pretty immune compromised. And I really haven't like interacted with anybody but them since, you know, like this time last year almost right and uh so i'm just trying to get a baseline for trauma because like one of the things i've been talking to with people you know like friends of mine like i have a buddy who you know is just like trolling message boards again like a child just to not like with anything evil or weird but just to be absurd but just you know just doing this like in goofy stuff as a leavening yeah. moment and everybody kind of has a thing and and I've, I've noticed friends of mine going like you know I'm, I'm sorry i'm telling you this i know it's weird and i'm like listen everybody in this country is living through like a daily mass trauma and they have been for a year we're all gonna do some weird shit and uh so i got up here and, and i got tested and it, you know i'm staying at, at a house of, of a friend's and they got tested and like we were hanging out like after everything had cleared and everything was okay and we were still standing like 10 feet apart and after about like 15 minutes, I said, can I hug you? <laughs> and I got this like, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and I did. And, I, and like, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm hugging an, another person, like finally another person, you know, and, and I just started shaking and I just couldn't stop. And I finally was like, you, you got to excuse me. And I just went in the other room and like, Everybody is going to, we're all going to find out in a weird way what weird shit this did to us. And we're not going to know in the same way that like, you know, you find out somebody you care about died and you don't cry right then. But then like a month later, like there's like a a B plot on an insignificant sitcom and it's just close enough to reality that you wind up like just enraged and screaming at it and then break down. Something that just doesn't immediately have a cause and effect like intuitive sense. Like we're all going to have these like tremors in our bodies. And I'm kind of like on the one hand, what you said about BLM made me think of it. Like, I think that there is going to be this amazing pent up ferment from people who are like, here is my bucket list for things I got to I got to say I tried to materially change, Mm. which is exciting. But I think we're also just going to be really bad at it for a bit. Yeah, we're just going to be yelling at people for like the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And, you know, we're going to be like hugging the wrong people like, oh, my thank you. It's like, guy, I'm just I told you that you're. (laughs) You, 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 the, the potato chip thing that got hung on the hook, it fell as you're walking away. It's fine. It's, they're Doritos, you know, but we're going to have that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have a button for that or a bow. <laughs> well, I really like that because I think it's, it just reminds me of people's common humanity and fragility and that real sm- special little snowflakes out here, Jeb, trying our best. Yeah. And we've all been a little messed up recently. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that, A, that is universal, but B, the expression of that will not be universal and just try and cut each other some slack uh, for a little bit, especially when we first open the doors. Political expression is going to be really interesting when um, America is allowed outdoors again. It'll be like when you haven't talked to anyone for two days, which is probably something that people can relate to a lot at the moment. And then you finally start using your vocal cords and it is the most alien experience and you just have forgotten how to speak to a human being. And I think it'll 
it'll come back, but it'll take a minute. Um, yeah. Hey, we're going to have close... like a solid month of everybody acting like they just did some unexpectedly good cocaine in the bathroom. <laughs> you're like, oh yeah. my God, how, how are you doing? What, it's been like, and you're just like, oh, slow up. Yeah. <laughs> Man, live in that exuberance as well. It's going to be so nice when stuff, when the, when the vaccine starts really rolling out en masse. I mean, it's, it's going to be briefly lived, but try and enjoy that exuberance, everybody. I was yeah. talking to my brother today who lives in England and um, he's lost any faith in the government there in anything that they say, which normally would be something that I would attribute to like conspiratorially minded people. But that is actually now a very sensible way <laughs> to live your life in the UK because Boris Johnson has just been saying a million different things, somehow all of which contradict and yet are all wrong. Um, none, of what, none of the timelines have come to fruition. <laughs> And when things do start getting better, which they will shortly, yeah, just live in the exuberance for a little bit because people have earned it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, meanwhile, in New Zealand, th- things have been okay. Do you want to hear the news stories that have been going on here for the last week, just as we close things out for a bit of oh, um, totally. scale? So we made a new rule that you don't have to wear ties in Parliament anymore. Nice. The, the tie rule got uh, overturned, and that was, no kidding, one of the larger news stories for this week. Uh <laughs> We fired a, a talkback host who used to be the mayor of Auckland, our largest city. He did a fill-in shift on one of the more popular talkback stations here, got a really racist uh, caller come in and doubled down on what that guy was saying. And then not only did uh-huh. former Auckland mayor John Banks get fired, but this entirely other dude who was at the station who was on holiday at the time named Sean Plunkett also got fired despite doing nothing precise in that moment to get fired, but just had such a career of racist highlights that management got really nervous about the crashing tides of complaints that were coming against John Banks that they also fired Sean Plunkett, which I was so delighted by because I've just... (laughs) Sean Plunkett is an absolutely detestable human being who I've had to endure being around for like 10 years in the radio space and he's gone now as well there you go there's a freebie so that's kind of cool and the very last one uh our national carrier in new zealand has accidentally been working with the saudi arabian military specifically uh the royal saudi navy which is nice that that one actually is a legitimate scandal but um once people found out what was going on we were servicing their uh turbines but once people found out what was going on, uh, in New Zealand apologised and promised not to do it again. But that was kind of, there was a whoopsie from us. Well, if you have any water-based journalists, I would just be on the lookout. You can't trust, I mean, that's not a Navy you, you want around your writers. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for me, Tim Bat, here in Auckland, New Zealand. And that'll do it for me in uh, Parts Unknown. <laughs> oh, damn it. I was trying to trick you into saying where you were, Jeff. Well done. <laughs> Catch you next time, buddy.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.